Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The world. 55 KRC. The talk station. It's 8.05 here at 55 Care CD Talk Station. Hope you're having a wonderful Friday Eve. Tuned in to the right time. I've been looking forward to this all morning since I found out he was on the rundown. My next guest, his name is Elliot Ackerman, author of the book we're going to be talking about today, The Fifth Act, America's End in Afghanistan. Uh, he's a graduate of Tufts University and ROTC from 2003. Active Marine between uh, 03 and 09, including serving as a Raider, which is a Marine Corps equivalent of the Navy SEALs. From 09 to 2011, he served as a CIA Special Operations Officer, um, which hasn't talked about a whole lot in his career. We'll talk about that a little bit. Purple Heart, wounded by a grenade in Fallujah, Iraq. He's a recipient of the Silver Star in Iraq and Bronze Star for Valor in Afghanistan. He is also an amazing and accomplished writer, New York Times bestselling author of a whole bunch of novels, and his articles also appear in a variety of uh, uh, of outlets you're aware of, Esquire, New Yorker, New York Times. I could go on, but I want to talk about the book. Welcome to the program, Elliot Ackerman. First off, let me thank you for your service to our country. No, thanks for your support, and I appreciate you having me on. I am happy to. Let me first ask, uh, the fifth act, America's End in Afghanistan, I get the second part, but where does the title come from, the fifth act? Well, you know, the the disaster of last summer, I think, was, we can all agree, was, was tragic. And if you look, tragedies, uh, typically from Shakespeare back to ancient times, are told in five acts. And so the five acts of the book are president's, uh, Bush, Obama, Biden, or Trump, Biden, and then the fifth act is the Taliban. But the book also follows five uh, evacuation cases uh, of our Afghan allies uh, that I was involved with this summer. So it's a story of the war, but it's also, I think, a very dramatic story about what happened in the last two weeks of August last year as the war ended. All right, well, let's talk about it in terms, let's start with the war, how we got there in the first place. I mean, I distinctly remember when I was in law school, um, we, uh, I, I went to, to school, I believe he was from Pakistan. Anyway, he was a huge supporter of what the Mujahideen was doing, which was fighting off the Soviet Union. You know, he, he wanted everybody to put cash, cash contributions in the Mujahideen. So it was sort of, sort of the enemy of my enemy is my friend situation. Russia ultimately gets kicked out. And that's when, I believe, historically speaking, the terrorists sort of moved in and used at Afghanistan, the country, as an operating base. Is that roughly, the, generally speaking, correct, the terrorists taking a foothold in Afghanistan? That's right. You know, the, the Soviets leave in 1989, and between 1989 and 2001, you know, you have this period where Afghanistan really becomes a black hole, and there's this huge power vacuum there. And uh, all sorts of nefarious characters come in and, and fill that power vacuum. And uh, during that period, Afghanistan really is in a state of, of civil war and chaos. But we never declared war. There was no de- congressional declaration of war. And traditional norms, you have a state that has an army. It's under color of a flag. And if they take you know military actions against you or you have a justification for declaring war on that country, you're declaring war on the country and you have a specific operation. This was when we entered the field of battle, 
because of the actions of terrorists, which were not the Afghanistan government necessarily. So the absence of a declaration of war kind of threw us into a gray margin or area right from the get-go, didn't it? Well, I think that's right. Um, you know, we were fighting, uh, in many cases, a non-state actor, um, which were, on the one hand, we were fighting al-Qaeda, because al-Qaeda, you know, who are Arabs, were the perpetrators of the September 11th attacks, that they had been uh, given safe haven by the Taliban, who in 2001 were the government in Afghanistan, and they were Afghans, but, you know, religious fundamentalists. So one of the challenges in Afghanistan is, you know, the mission was very unclear because you had many different missions overlaid on one another, a counterterrorism mission, but also at times a nation-building mission in Afghanistan. Well, were the terms and conditions of what we were hoping to accomplish ever outlined so that we had some sort of very definitive uh, uh, list of accomplishments or what would constitute a win that would allow us to withdraw and, and without sort of doing it with our tail between our legs as it seemed to have happened a year ago? No, Brian, I think, you know, if you look uh, over 20 years of war, America's longest war, you know, at no single point was there a consensus as to what this war was about and what winning would mean. And the fact that we as Americans can never agree what winning would mean was probably one of the reasons that we that we lost this war. When you suggest in your book that regardless of when we might have pulled out, whether it was a year ago or you know this year or the prior year, that the results would have been the same, the chaos and the sort of moving back in of terrorist organizations. Well, I think that, you know, there there were different ways to, to handle this. Um, and the thing that was so unfortunate about last summer was what became clear was that there was no contingency plan for how to get our Afghan allies out. And so this, the fifth act of uh, the book um, is really about this crowdsourced effort you know, what some have called the digital Dunkirk yeah. uh, to evacuate, you know, the Afghans who we made promises to that we would support them. And, you know, and these are the Afghans who did stand up for their country and didn't want to live under the yoke of the Taliban. Um, and, you know, ultimately, too many of them were left behind. Well, that part, that element of the story is somewhat of a success story. I know we still have uh, allies left in Afghanistan, but through the use of modern digital technology, you mentioned the digital Dunkirk component of this, you were able to help through a network of friends get folks out that were left there on the day we pulled out. How were you able to accomplish that? I mean, it's a, I mean, I think people have to have a clear understanding. Afghanistan is not a completely well-built, well-roaded, uh, you know, telecommunications everywhere kind of country. It's a rather desolate area, right? No, that, that's certainly the case. Um, and, you know, I was just, you know, one person involved in, you know, a much broader effort to uh, to get people out. But basically it was, I mean, nothing fancy. It was, you know, networks. Um, you know, 20 years of war, you build pretty deep networks. And these are networks amongst veterans, journalists, Afghans in the country. And sort of through those networks, we were able to identify groups of Afghans, uh, many of whom uh, uh, were in the process of applying for special immigrant visas and get them to Kabul International Airport, you know, through the Taliban checkpoints, through the American checkpoints uh, in those days, and get them on flights uh, so that they could leave the country. Is that something that we could have better orchestrated? I mean, we obviously have connections with all these people, the interpreters, those that helped us try to achieve our goals in Afghanistan, whatever they might have been, our quote-unquote friends. They were throughout the country, and this whole 
immediate pulling of the plug seemed to kind of catch the American public kind of by surprise. And it seemed to have caught a lot of people there by surprise. Like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm 150, 200 miles from the Kabul airport. I can't get there. I'm going to be left here. And in fact, they were left there. Could that element have been better coordinated or would that have tipped off maybe our foes and thus preventing us from, a, a, a well, a marginally successful withdrawal? I guess I'm, I'm puzzled by that one. Well, I think that element could have definitely been better handled. And, um, you know, what became clear is that when, when Kabul fell so quickly, uh, much more quickly than anyone in the Biden administration thought it would fall, um, that there was no contingency plan for how to get people out. Um, you know, for instance, you know, I left the war 10 years ago. And when my Afghan friends were calling me asking for help, you know, if there was some State Department phone number I could give them or email address where I felt in good conscience, you know, this would allow them to get out of the air, get out of the country to the airport. I certainly would have done that. But the problem so many of us, you know, veterans and others had was there was no backup system. There was no process to get anyone out. And so we banded together to try to, you know, create, basically create a means for folks to get evacuated out of the country. And that's what so much of the book is about. Well, do you blame your prior employer, the CIA, for that failure to anticipate how quickly Kabul fell and the collapse of that government that we put in place? I mean, we did arm them. We thought they were trained. We thought they would defend themselves. And lo and behold, five minutes after, you know, we, we, we exercise our pullout, they they get on planes and flee the country. I, I, I How did we miss that and did not predict at least the possibility of that happening? Um, I think I think much of that is confirmation bias. You know, we we wanted to believe and our entire strategy was predicated on this idea that when we left, there would be what Nixon called in Vietnam, a decent interval, a decent interval being the time from which the last American troop leaves to the time in which the government falls. If it was going to fall uh, in Vietnam, we left in 1972. Saigon fell in 1975. The problem is in Afghanistan, there was no decent interval. The government collapsed before the last U.S. soldiers were out of the country. And once that occurred, um, it was it was really just the chaos. It was chaos. It was the scenes everybody saw on the news last summer. Um, So who would I blame for that? Listen, I think there's plenty of blame to go around for how Afghanistan ended at the end of 20 years of war and the failure there across Republican and Democratic administrations. But with regards to the chaos of the evacuation, you know, I, I blame the president. I, I put the blame at the top. Fair enough. And and I know we sort of talk about the war there is over, what, whatever it is that it means to win a war or not. But we're really it, it isn't over. We just got done drone striking a guy in Afghanistan. So clearly we still have some sort of presence there, even if it's only, you know, drones and, and, and satellite imagery. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a week ago, week we killed Amin Zawahiri, the the head of Al Qaeda, uh, and he was in Kabul. I think which should give us pause: the fact that uh, the leadership of Al Qaeda is now once again in Afghanistan, one year after this war um, ended. And you know, as much as you want to say that this is a success, I mean, yes, we killed the head of Al Qaeda. You know, it's a tactical success, right? The issue over the past twenty years has not been whether or not the United States is good at killing terrorists. We've actually become very good and effective at killing terrorists. We have incredible capability there. The challenge has been we've never really been able to translate that tactical capability into sort of a strategic vision for, well, what does that mean? How do we extricate ourselves from these forever wars? Um, and and I, I agree with you. You know, we still are at war in a place like Afghanistan, to say nothing of places like Iraq, Syria, Somalia, Nigeria, all of these places where we continue to have troop presences. 
Well, as long as we have ideological differences, we're going to face the risk of someone strapping a bomb to themselves and blowing people up in the name of their religious cause or their or their political cause. I mean, I go back to the bombings in the early 70s with the Bader meinhof gangs of the world, the leftists, the, the, the communists. We've been facing this threat a long time, but that digital technology that was so successful in, in, in its use in helping you get people who were stranded there out also helps foster and encourage more and more terrorists through extending their networks. I mean, this is an, this is an insurmountable Sisyphean sort of challenge we face here. Terrorism and our enemies are never going to go away, are they? No, I, and I agree with that. And I think this is more when we talk about what it means to fight a war or to end a war. You know, this type of extremism is is a, is a is a problem to be managed. And, you know, we manage it in places like Iraq. We manage it in places like Syria. But in Afghanistan, we got wrapped around this idea that we needed to end the war and completely pull the plug on any type of U.S. involvement in Afghanistan. And I would argue that today we are strategically weaker uh, with regards and more vulnerable with regards to terrorism than we were 18 months ago or two years ago when we had a, at the time, actually a relatively small U.S. presence in Afghanistan compared to what it was a decade ago at the height of the war. And I think that was a strategic mistake. Name of the book, The Fifth Act, America's End in Afghanistan, by my guest today, Elliot Ackerman, who probably served his country and thank him for it. Very briefly, before we part company, I know you have to go. What, what was your ultimate hope in, uh, to accomplish in telling this story, sir? More than anything, I, I hope that people will read the story and, uh, you know, and understand the, the human cost of war, you know, and, and hear about some of the heroic things that, um, you know, that, that Americans, veterans and Afghans did in the last days of this war to try to make it right and to try to and not leave so many people behind. Well, and I know you, you write of your personal involvement as well. And again, thank you for your service, as demonstrated by the, uh, the, the, the Bronze Star, the Silver Star, among others. Appreciate the time you spent with my listeners and me as well today. Sir Elliot Ackerman, get a copy of the Fifth Act, America's End in Afghanistan, on my blog page today at 55krc.com. Best of health to you and your loved ones, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. 818, 55KRCD Talk Station, iHeartMedia Aviation X. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.